Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 150. Today my guest will be Aaron Fentel, as usual as running running shotgun here on the old Moving Iron Podcast. And then I got Jordan Kite from AgriService will be on up after Aaron. So Aaron, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good. Good. Just another beautiful... Feels like early fall, even though it's late summer day, which yep. isn't good for late crops. No, it's not. <laughs> just another beautiful day from the worldwide headquarters of Open Stone Farms. Right on, right on, <laughs> right on. So today, you know, we kind of hit something about every week we go on here. We, we talk about stuff that's going on. Last week we talked about what we saw happen in the auction market, and this week I think is an underserved market. I think that a lot of guys, unless you're like knee deep into that into that area it's hay and we haven't talked about that much here on the show so i want to spend a little time talking about hay and what we see happen in the hay market and uh what we see going on around there so aaron why don't you talk a little bit about what you see happening in the hay market right now and, and as far as equipment goes and uh how things moving out there as far as windrowers and some balers go in general uh, hay, hay equipment for for us specifically is super hot right um I feel like Baylor's new Baylor sales took a while to get going, but I'm I think we we've sold more Baylor's in August than I can ever remember. Yeah, um, there was a lot of days where it was five a day, and that's very odd. Typically, they're June and early July. The bulk of our round Baylor sales, the bulk, not all. Um, and this, you know, within our entire AOR is pretty much ranchers and grass hay. Um, you know, most of the commercial alfalfa guys are all square bales here, just like everywhere else. But right. the bulk of our round baler sales is the grass hay market, rancher market. Um, and I know those guys had a heck of a time. You know, southern South Dakota, western Nebraska, eastern Wyoming, northern Colorado, just wet. And I'm sure, you know, I know everything was kind of delayed and this and that, but it still feels like pretty late for Baylor's, Um, even even though realizing they are late and behind, it still feels late. But some some Baylor's like hotcakes. I have spent all summer trying to get any kind of wind rower that makes sense and that isn't a piece of junk bought right. yeah. <laughs> for our customer base. Um, just cannot get enough late model used wind rowers to satisfy the uh, buyer market locally for us. Um, just been really, really hot. I know hay... I know there was pretty much third cutting, you know, for our Bridgeport, Scotts Bluff, Alliance stores in Nebraska is non-existent. Um, There was a lot of beautiful third cutting alfalfa ready to roll and just just pounded with hail. Yeah. A good friend of mine has a, a circle across the road and it was gorgeous. And got hailed out Friday morning and Monday they were going to cut it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that goes. that's kind of a tough, tough pill to swallow. Um, I know nationwide, I know Eastern Nebraska, um, Iowa guys have had a heck of a lot of trouble getting hay put up in general. Um, and nationally, the, it's it's not new to the industry. I think it's a little new to the North American round baler market for deer, but the 
pre-cutter is gaining a lot of popularity. Um, Here with it being wet, I know a few dealers have sold some kind of last-minute deal, like, well, let's pre-cut it and let's, you know, marshmallow wrap it and go that route because there is no other way you're going to get it up, you know. And it's... And and I know I've talked to a couple guys in in eastern Iowa that were dealing with that scenario, and you know they were to the point where I'm going to roll the stuff up wet, throw it in a ditch somewhere just to get it off, so maybe we can get the next cutting. Right. You know, it was that drastic. So there's been a little bit of you know with the fighting wetness and everywhere that's definitely affected the hay market. Um, the, you know, lack of temperatures in some areas has been a negative to the hay market, a plus to other hay market areas. You know, it's, it's just kind of a crapshoot out there, but I would say that, that nationally, as far as I'm aware, the hay market, you know, used hay equipment is pretty good yeah it's it's a pretty good market by and large so yeah that's for sure and when you look at you take a look at anything that's going on out there right now when it comes to hay it's either it's on both ends of the extreme there's not there's not a lot of places right now that have that oh we have perfect growing conditions you know it's either too wet not enough heat units or it's too dry and right there's there's no perfect thing going right now and the hay equipment i will say during this downturn has been the one thing and you can argue this from a bunch of different points, but used hay equipment through the downturn has been the one thing that has stayed pretty consistent and pretty uh, pretty hot and heavy because it's always that thing that guys have twenty five grand, you know, laying around that they can go get that new baler, right? Or they've got right. fifty grand to go get the new swather, or you know, seventy grand or whatever the number is. It's and it's <clears throat> you know when it comes to hay and forage, I, I'm surprised that there's as much. Um, it has been as consistent as it's been. It's not. There's never been a time when it's been super, super duper hot and we can't get enough of anything. But it's never been super duper low. But it's just been consistently the same value. You know, you can you can argue that maybe the last six months, eighteen months, something like that, you started to see a little bit of a trickle up in value. But I think for the most part, it stayed pretty consistent across the board. What do you think? Is that think it's a pretty fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. The the one thing that I would point out is it's it I can remember maybe four years ago where in 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 our area we've never ever in the twelve years I've been here thirteen years I've been here had round baylor issues right. we just we just don't right right <laughs> and and there are certain times where windrowers kind of pile up a little bit, but for the last two years, for sure, it doesn't matter if it's a 4890 with 5,000 hours or hell, even an old 3830, um, all the way up to use W260s, they just fly out of here. Right. Um, so it's, it has, it has been a bright spot, especially when you compare it to, the combine market. Yep. Oh. <laughs> just, just thought I'd sprinkle that in there. Yeah. Um, so it, it has been a bright spot, and it's, and I would honestly say the biggest, the biggest comment for it being a bright or the biggest factor in it being a bright spot is just what you said: consistency. Right. It's been pretty consistent. It's it's about. That and planners for probably the last two years are the mm-hmm. only things that have, that have a clue about consistency. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Even, so, even tractors aren't there right now. Yeah. So since we're on this hay and forage topic today, there's one actually of all the things out there right now that have just taken the beating. I mean, when it comes to used, just gets just kicked around, and that's choppers, right? And right. But I will say this. I've noticed over the last four months, maybe maybe even go back six months, that there has been a steady 
incline or incline in demand when you come start looking at forage harvesters and not now we'll say this it is not the the one-year-old two-year-old chopper it's that you know that 50 series that 10 series uh, series, 80s. You know, yeah, the '80s. You know, those series of of choppers, guys are actually kind of starting to look at. It. And I think the reason for that is they're the the custom guys. And this is my pure speculation. So if you're if you're a custom guy out there and and you and I'm and I'm wrong, please hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram here at Moving Iron LLC. But when I look at this, I think it's because. There's the forge guys have gotten to be so busy and they're doing so many jobs that some of these some of the smaller jobs they're they're passing on those and these guys are buying that that hundred and fifty thousand hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollar chopper to go out and do three to five hundred acres with and I think that's where right. I'm seeing that demand come from. I mean, is I guess when you talk to folks about are you hearing something like that too when you're talking to folks out there on the phone? Well, I try real hard not to bring up choppers, Casey, ever. Because you get beat up, just right? On the off, just on the off chance they want to trade one on something that, that is not a chopper on my hand. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that, yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing, as you were saying that, I think you're partly right. I think another reason of it is just like everything in the ag sector, and even in the non-ag sector, but especially in ag, labor. Right, okay? yeah. So you can actually, and I've, and I know this from a couple guys that have jumped from a pole type into a smaller 7,000 aught, 7,050 series. Right. You know, they've gotten rid of the, you know, pole type and the dump wagon and the trucks. They already got the truck, so they get rid of the pole type and the dump wagon, or they go to, you know, say they were using the old forage wagons, you know, the, the four chain job. Yep. And there's been a few of those guys that even, you know, yeah, it still takes labor because you got a guy driving the chopper and a guy driving the truck and somebody piling, but they, they have gone that route because it's less labor. Mm-hmm. You, you need, instead of, you know, sitting out there with a 3975 pull type and a three-row head, well, just sheer time, you're going to need whatever said labor is longer versus let's hop in this thing and chew this off and pile it up and the labor can go. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, that's, that's a good point, too. I never really thought about that. Instead of finding you know. somebody so-so mm-hmm. that might know what they're doing for two weeks, they find a guy that doesn't know what he's doing for two days, and there you go. Yeah, and that's the other thing, and too. You know, they're they're kind of a necessary evil for yep. beef industry, dairy industry, oh, yeah. whatever, you know. Got to have a silage. Yeah, you, you got to have them, and... Yep. A lot of those guys are, I mean, that's kind of where they sit. You know, hell, they, they don't want to have their chopper either, but when it's go time, it's go time, and everybody's here, so let's knock it out, and here we go. Yeah. Okay. So the other side of that, too, is like everything else, <clears throat> these choppers are getting bigger and bigger, right? So right. Kloss has got, uh, what, 980, and uh, the, the equivalent is uh, John Deere 9900, which is the new one that came out. we got 12-row heads. Um and these things are massive, thousand horsepower rigs. You know they've just got just tons of juice, which always comes back to the fun, the fun story of what what do you do with the uh, with that that use when it comes back in? It's a four hundred and fifty thousand or five hundred thousand dollar get up with uh, with the pickup head and the, and the row crop head, so the rotary head. So it's a uh, again that kind of goes back to that. What do you do with that with that first generation trade in and I, I'm left scratching my head on some of those. I think all, all I can really tell you to do, and I, you know, and I've been in the used equipment business for a decade here, but I think really when you get to that point, you just punt. You just you just walk away and let somebody else figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and sell a whole bunch of new ones and drop your forge contract. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, uh, I'm not doing it anymore. Sorry. Sorry about that. 
that would be an awful thing to do, folks. We're just joking. But that that is that is I see that happen a lot. Now, I will say this, the dealers that are tuned into that and they're they're the ones that, that do that in and out year after year um thing, um they seem to figure it out. They seem to get through them. It might take some, you know, it all depends on dairy price, right? Dairy prices are up. Beef prices are up. Um, choppers fly out of here, especially if there's a drought. You know, there's a drought someplace, and they got to go chop a bunch of stuff. You see an impact chopper. We're seeing some demand on our used choppers we've got in our yard right now because of all the hell we've got right now, right? So we're starting to see, right. some, see some things happening there. So, I mean, you talked about a machine that is – niched there's i don't know other than uh my my adage has always been outside of sugarcane harvesters i think the next most niched machine that's a that is not a you know picking blueberries or something like that it's it's a forge harvester you know and because i mean you're not really doing much unless there's a zombie apocalypse i guess you could turn the rotary head on and and mow a path but you'd be all right but i don't it is such a it is such a niche thing in trying to figure out how to make those moving parts all fit on the use side is always a struggle. Yeah, and I know you know besides the uh, the the buzzword of agriculture for the entire year, the hemp business is actually yeah. firing up a little bit of chopper sales too, because it seems like no matter <laughs> at least from what I can tell across the country, you have five take five guys that are growing hemp and they're doing five completely different ways of harvest. Yeah. You know, I know guys that are putting shellborn headers on choppers yeah. and going that route. Yeah. I know guys that are, you know, got drapers on choppers, guys that are combining it, mm-hmm. um, you know, then sloughing and chopping. It's just seems like, Five guys are going to do five different ways, and I, 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 I have obviously have no clue what's the right way to do it and what's not. But yeah. there is, you know, that that's plays into all, all kinds of equipment mixes, yeah. you know, as far as that goes. So, well, and yeah. choppers, choppers are a big part of that, from what I have seen. Yep. Well, I can tell you this much. To me, right now, the hemp industry in the United States is, is very much like a gold rush. Um, a lot of people are jumping in thinking it's going, oh, I just got to show up and we get all this money. And it's it's not that way, you know. Right. Um, I will say next year, I mean, under the 2020, I think it's 2020, the 2020 Farm Bill, you can get, you can insure hemp. Um, so that'll that'll open some doors up to maybe some. You know, some farmers actually, some real hardcore, like, that's my job for the last 30 years farming, you know, farmers is will step into that ring and, and start taking a look at it and, and see what they can make happen. But, man, it's a, a lot of folks are going to may either make a bunch of money or lose everything they've got. And it's probably going to be more towards yeah. the latter um, when you start looking at things like this. So very cautious about that business right now. And um, not saying I'm not interested in it, not saying that I'm not, you know, See, there's some there's some bullish trends there in, in the hit market. It's just there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing, and there's there is a it's a very expensive a very expensive learning curve that they have to figure out when it comes to farming and the areas that people are growing the stuff and and the weather that comes with that and all the different things. It's a it's a big deal, and I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens over the next um, three to five years in that in that industry. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. In- interesting is exactly right. So, all right. Well, I think we uh, we got her pretty well whipped here in our little Hay and Forge talk for the for this week on the Moving Iron Podcast. So, Aaron, if folks want to reach out to you and pick your brain about what's going on or just see what kind of hot deals you got cooking, how would they do that? Well, you can catch me on the Twitterverse at Aaron Fintel. Or uh, call me, text me, what have you, 308-760-1193. All right, buddy. Well, Aaron, take care of yourself. We'll, uh, we'll catch you down the road, man. Right on, man. Moving on. All right, we're back, and I am joined with Jordan Kite, and he's with AgriService, and he is the new and used equipment asset manager for AgriService in Kimberly, Idaho. So, Jordan, man, thanks for being on the show. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Why don't you give me a little background on yourself? Talk about you know uh, kind of 
what what you do for the company and then talk about talk about uh agri-service what they are and kind of the area they cover and and uh some of the crops you got in your area okay so my background uh i've been in the asset management position i guess for about just over six years i was a store manager before that for one of our locations uh, agri-service is an agco dealer so we have challenger massey ferguson uh, we also have the Fent line now. Uh, so we have the, basically their whole portfolio of products that they cover. Uh, we cover Idaho. We're into, we, we have a, a location right on the border of Oregon and Idaho. And so we cover into Oregon and then we have, uh, locations up in Washington as well. Gotcha. So that area. Okay. Our main crops, uh, we've got potatoes, obviously, in Idaho is our number one. We also do a lot of hay. We do uh, wheat, barley, and sugar beets is our main crops okay. we have out here. Right on. I do a little sugar beets down here myself, so it's uh, that's, a, that's an interesting crop. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. All right, man, so let's jump into this a little bit. So we... Now, here just a little bit ago, Aaron Fennell and I were talking back and forth about some hay stuff, and you know, that seems to be one of the uh, since this downturn started in 2013 to where we're at today, the hay market's been one of those consistent markets out there. You know, when you start, at least it has been in in my neck of woods, it's been a fairly yeah. consistent market. I mean, there's either been a drought someplace, or not enough, uh, or too much rain, or not enough heat units, or early springs that that zap the alfalfa or what have you, and and dairy quality hay is getting to be a a, a a bigger and bigger commodity as uh, I just started looking at at uh, how, how they're feeding cows nowadays. So I guess talk about your hay market right now and, and, and what you see happening there and then transition that into what you see happening in the overall hay equipment marketplace. So here in Idaho right now, uh, Idaho, I guess I should pull Washington into that because we do a lot up there also. Right now the hay market is good. Uh, last hay report that came out, we're right, you know, 200 bucks a ton for good hay. Your fair hay is between 150, 165 a ton. So decent numbers on the hay. I mean, a couple of years ago, we got up into that, you know, 280. It was, it was too high, I guess. Um, so it's kind of leveled off. It's been below that. But right now, we're feeling pretty good about where the hay prices are. Uh, farmers are doing well with it. We also do the export market. The export market is an interesting beast in of itself. You know, right now you've got Japan that wants more. Uh, India wants more. China's down. Uh, I think a lot of that. China's kind of an interesting, I don't know how to describe it. I don't even fully understand China and some of the stuff that goes on. But right now that's low. That's probably affecting us, our export guys here, more than anything right now. Um, I mean, China is usually doing about four and a half million tons of hay. And so for them right now to be down can, can affect us for sure. Um, but the dairies here, uh, the feedlots, they're buying hay, which is good. That keeps kind of the local business here. The guys that aren't exporting are feeling pretty good. So the overall, you would say the overall health of the, of the, of the alfalfa market is fairly strong in your area. Do you talk to some other folks around the country that are kind of echoing what you're saying? You know, I don't, I don't talk to a lot of other guys around the country. I mean, I talk, we usually deal with guys, you know, Colorado West, I would say, you know, Wyoming guys, Idaho guys, everybody's kind of the same. Just, I mean, there's pockets where it's doing better pockets where it's doing worse. Right. Uh, You know, and a lot of that, a lot of that depends on where cattle are at, you know, cattle are kind of level trending down a little bit. And so that could affect the hay market also um, in some of those pockets. But yeah, overall I would say hay is good right now. Yep. Yeah. Alfalfa hay is another one of those things too, that, that really trends with the, uh, what you see happen with the dairy market as well. So when that starts to kind of go down a little bit, you start seeing it there, but it's one of those things too, that they have to buy it. They have to feed the cows. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's, you know, there's ebbs and flows like you talked about earlier, but it seems like it's, the dairy market does have a big effect on on the overall price of hay. Yep. Yeah. All right, man. So let's jump into some equipment equipment talk right now. So I imagine where you guys are out, you're out there doing uh, you know big four by four, three by four type bales, um, those kind of stuff. So talk about that baler market a little bit and what you see happening there. Yeah, we have a lot of four by four guys. We're starting to see a shift of more of the three by fours. Um, we have hay presses out here. A lot of the hay presses want three by four bales more than they want four by four bales. 
the export guys want three by four bales. Uh, but a lot of the dairies is where they really want the four by four bales. So we still have a pretty strong four by four market, but we're seeing it switch and go to the three by four market a little bit more. So I see that transition continuing uh, as more guys start, you know, shipping their hay further and, and getting it out of their area. I think we'll probably start seeing more and more three by four balers being um, sold here and less four by fours. So what are you doing to combat that right now? I mean, when you, so what's the, that is the, the uh, crux, I guess, of, of this business. If you look at it, you know, when you start seeing that trend line happen, um, you just got to start making some decisions on how you're going to start either, especially in your position, how you're going to position yourself with new product and then how you're going to position yourself with maybe an, uh, a product that has lost its luster that used to be a, a big seller for you. Yeah. You know, we're starting, I mean, we started the last uh, year or so. We're just ordering less four by four balers, more three by four balers as we see that happening. I mean, there will always be a four by four market. I think there's just guys that that's, you know, that's what they prefer. The big farms that are feeding their own hay, they're set up for four by four, so they don't have a reason to change. And so I think we'll still, you know, always see those four by fours. But uh, we've we've just tried to follow that trend a little bit every year, depending on where we're selling them and are ordering less four by fours, more three by fours in and then just kind of watching it. Um, you know, with the balers, we also have the tandem axles and the single axles. Right. And that's something that we have to watch because there's guys out there that, absolutely will not run one or the other you know if they're right. a tandem guy they're a tandem guy and you can't pay me enough to sit or pull a single mm-hmm. and vice versa and so that's that's another challenge that we face is you know when you're trying to i mean the new side is fairly easy we know the guys that want tandems we know the guys that want singles we can track that demand year to year but on the used side it can it poses a little bit of a problem because if you've got all the single guys trading one year. And so you've got a lot of single bailers, but you got tandem used buyers. Then, you know, we have to play that game too and try to make sure we're bringing in both in at the same time and, and keep it flowing. Yep. Okay. So do you, do you feel like that three by four market is a more, is, is kind of trending more towards the niche market for the, the export side? Or do you feel like there's going to be some local guy feeding their own stuff kind of transition more into that? Do you feel, I guess, just kind of listen to what you say there? Yeah, I mean, I, the local guys are also transitioning um, mm-hmm. a little bit more to the three by four, and a lot of it is on shipping. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the reason that they are transitioning, the guys that the hay is staying local, where I'm located at in Kimberly, in Idaho, Kimberly, Idaho, we're sitting here and we've got dairies. I mean, I can see dairies from our office windows. I mean, there are just right. a lot of dairies around. And so the guys that are producing hay for dairies and the dairies want four by fours. You know, those guys will keep doing four by four bales because they ship it right down the street or the dairy's loaded up from the fields themselves. But right. the guys that are, are not, I guess, contracted with dairies or don't have their hay sold before they put it up and are shipping it, those are the guys that seem to be looking more three by four right now. Yeah. So in your area, do you have a do you have a round bale presence or is it more commercial stuff that the guys are doing? We're mostly commercial. We yeah. do have some. I mean, we cover down into Nevada a little bit, and then um, Wyoming. You know, we've got stores on the border there, and so Wyoming's a round baler market. So we definitely have round bale balers going into those areas. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, where I'm at, we really don't have a lot of round balers at all. Yeah, just the bulk of it's just going to be the commercial side, the the large square bale stuff. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's talk about what you see happening in the swather market. So you can't have one without the other. So as you take a look at some of these swathers, it feels like to me the swather market, especially on the youth side of the business right now, is is very hot. There's a there's not I don't know hot's probably not the right word, but very consistent and very steady. Um, that we have plenty of demand for for used uh, windrowers. So talk about that market right now. What you see happening in your area? Yeah, it's definitely the same. I mean. Yeah, I don't know if hot's the right word, but it's definitely right now we are we are moving windrowers. We, you know, starting the season this last spring, I was a little bit concerned about where we were at on the use side, but right now we've burned through, you know, a lot of those a lot of those machines where right now the sales guys are looking saying, Hey, you need some more we need some more use swathers because we got guys that want to buy them. And so uh, that's been good. Our new market is also picked up a lot. We're selling a lot of new units also. So uh, I would say the swather market right now is is hotter than the baler market, which usually they kind of run 
together. But um, right now, the Baylors seem to be shifting up, and the windrows are kind of slowing down just a little bit. And so maybe it's just tracking behind them this year. But yeah, the hay market or the our hay machines are definitely moving right now pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at um, the overall on the new side of the business, when you're taking a look at that, um, is there is there a is there a shift in the market where you're seeing one one conditioner in your area that's maybe kind of starting to become a prevalent one, or has it always been the same thing? Uh, we sell more double conditioners than we do single conditioners. Yeah. Uh, all the, I shouldn't say all, but I would say the majority of the big producers are running double conditioners. Um, yeah, they, they are definitely doubles. We do have some, we have a couple big guys running singles and a lot of it is just, you know, conditions where they're at, you know, if they're heavy due, if they're, if they get rainfall, yeah, you know, every evening, they, those guys sometimes don't want the doubles, but overall, if they're, if they're a decent sized producer or exporter, they want the double conditioner. So we do yeah. sell a lot of those. You have much triple mountain business out there with the front, the front PTOs and tractors and stuff. You have any, anything like that going on out there? We've got a couple of them, uh, some dairies that are running them that are just chopping right behind them. And so they're, yeah, they do have those, but uh we there's only a couple of them that i can think of that are running those not very many people using them to actually bail with or just run it to to do the forge aspect but kind of speed that process yeah up. yeah yep yep just forage i got gotcha. you okay that makes sense i guess i mean you're laying down three rows at a time so you can definitely get across that field 30 feet 30 feet wide usually um you can yeah. knock down quite a bit pretty quick that makes sense <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense all right so when you look at what's going on with those balers that you see out there, that 150 to 200 horsepower tractor has got to be a, a pretty big seller for you. So what do you see happening in that marketplace? Yeah. Uh, you know, our, our tractor market is, I mean, we have a pretty good sized tractor market out here, obviously with, with all the row crops we do. And then with mm-hmm. the hay, uh, I would say our, the 150 to 200 horse tractors are moving pretty good. It seems the over 200 have slugged a little bit, slowed down. Yeah. Uh, but that 150 to 200 seems to be a real sweet spot. So especially pulling these balers, the balers, you know, the three by fours, you know, most guys want to have 150 horse just to make sure they can handle that weight. And so that right. 150 to 200 is what guys want to bail with. And so, you know, for us, that's a good area yeah. or a good spot of a tractor. Is that a pretty much a dual threat tractor with you guys out there with the baler? And then also as a chore tractor kind of feed tractor, those kind of things that uh to uh, feed wagons and those kind of things is that is that kind of where that's that tractor's falling into that niche yeah yeah some of the guys that run you know that pull uh, feed boxes or mm-hmm. manure spreaders go a little bit bigger they go in that 205 to 250 range but right. um you know a lot of them will still use their smaller ones for that too gotcha yep is there a lot of bell processors <clears throat> bell processors oh, processors yeah, there we go <laughs> a lot of bell processors out there right now working is that a is that a pretty big business for you guys um, we sell a handful. I mean, the, the bell processors we sell, uh, we sell a lot of them to either feedlots or guys feeding mother cows. There's a handful of dairies that run bell processors. Um, I mean, a lot of guys will use, and maybe, and maybe this is what you're referring to, but we got the feed boxes that'll have the processor in that right. to chop up to eliminate that. Yeah. So, you know, all, every dairy's got at least one, if not two you know, feed box slash processors. And so mm-hmm. there's a fair amount of them running around. We have a, a few uh, pretty good sized feed lots that also, you know, running them around too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you uh, take a look at what's going on right now and, and you got all this, you got all these different factors weighing into the market. You got trade, you've got weather, you've got low commodity prices, you got beef prices that are kind of bouncing all over the place with the Tyson fire a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's just a lot of uncertainty out there. So when you take a look at your your marketplace um, between now and the end of the year, I, what's your uh, what's your feel for the market? What's your kind of crystal ball say to you? Yeah, you know I'm optimistic. I guess I'm I'm usually optimistic, and so I look at it and I say, you know, our hay price is good. And, you know, our early spuds or not early spuds, but our fresh packed spuds right now are looking good. Most of those are contracted, so the project projections are good on those. You know, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll have a good year end. That there will be guys that need to buy equipment, look at rolling it out. So I'm optimistic with everything that's going on. I mean, 
the weather's something we can't control. It's, <laughs> I wish, I wish we could. <laughs> right. No uh, kidding. Right. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that we can't, we can't control. And so I just look at it and, you know, I guess I'm optimistic. I don't think it's going to be a massive, huge, right. you know, everybody's thrilled out of their mind running, running in here to buy equipment, us or any other dealership. But I feel that there'll be, there'll be plenty of guys that'll need to buy equipment. So, yep. No, I, I'm with it. Kind of have that cautious optimism myself. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at. You know, there's, I think there's going to be enough stuff towards the end of the year that we're going to see a, a bit of a, a spike that we haven't seen in a while. But, uh, yep. But I think there's also going to be some, uh, I think the first year is going to be some, be some more kind of carryover a little bit. I think I just feel like there's going to be um, some some good things happen. Yep. I just I don't know. What, how do you feel about next year? I mean, you can take a look at 2020 as a whole. I know it's a long ways away, but um, it'll be here before you know it. Kind of when you look out there, do you feel kind of the same same view on, on kind of what you're looking at, or do you have maybe some reservations about heading into an election year like we're going into? Yeah, it always, you know, the election years always seem to, I don't know, they make me a little bit nervous just because you never know what's going to happen. It seems like right. everything goes up and down so quickly. Right. Uh, but I, I think it'll be good. I think we'll still have a good year. You know, I hope commodities stay so the farmers can make money. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. One thing that, that I'm really curious to see how it plays out is the, the tax law change on the leases. Yeah. You know, we have, it's interesting, we have, farmers asking us you know what we feel about it and asking us the details and it's like you need to talk to your account about that because i don't <laughs> right. want to give any bad advice yeah you know? i'm not gonna give you that um, yeah. but we've got some guys that are looking instead of these leases that they've always had they're looking at buying out their current leases keeping them uh you know and so that'll be interesting to see what happens because there are a lot of guys that want to buy equipment on a lease just because they want that payment but if the incentive isn't there to do that or it's, you know, messes up their balance sheet, then I guess, you know, I, I don't know how that'll happen. It, it could mm-hmm. potentially slow down sales if guys want to purchase it and run it longer, you know, where they don't have that benefit. So that's one thing that I'm kind of, you know, I guess I'm cautiously watching it, seeing how it's going to play out here and, and yeah. if that'll disaffiliate, you know. Yeah. So. Well, it's been the least uh, for, I think for, I mean, I'm not going to say just for me, I'm pretty sure I can, broad stroke this here but the leases have been a big part of the overall equipment business for the past five years you know it feels like um and every year every year gets a little bit stronger than it was the year before and it we're in that marketplace where guys are looking at a payment more than they're looking at their equity positions and those kind of things they're just trying to figure out what the best cost of operation is going to be and i've said it on here a couple times but i think i think leasing's here to say i think some of these bigger operators are going to start you know, looking at, at their equipment as more of a widget, you know, get a, get a job done and not have that emotional attachment that we've seen in the past, you know, 10 or 15 years ago to that piece of equipment. So I feel like, you know, that, that leasing is going to have a, have a stay. Now, when you start looking at how it's going to start dictating uh, balance sheets and what that looks like, that, that could, that could change that theory pretty quick. So that's something to pay yeah. attention to, man. No doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. All right, Jordan. Well, you know we've uh, we've been going here for a little while, and I really appreciate you being on the show. If folks want to check out AgriService and what that is, what's the best place for them to do that? We've got a, our websites uh, agriservice dot com a g r i dash service dot com. Check out our website. It's actually getting redone right now, so be patient as that transition takes place. But uh, yeah, they can find out all about us out on there. Right on. All right, Jordan, now got your website there for AgriService. Now, if folks want to reach out and talk to you directly, what's the best way to do that? So they can call uh, here at the office, numbers 208-734-7772. They could even call my cell phone if they want, 435-770-7850. Always glad to talk to anyone. Right on. Well, Jordan, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, man, and I will uh, look forward to seeing you again, and we'll catch you down the road, bud. All right, sounds good. Moving Iron. Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Agri Marketing. Chip, how you doing this morning? Doing well. How you doing, Casey? No, I'm not doing too bad, man. So, well, we had a uh, we had two kind of uh, two events happen here two weeks in a row. First, we had that August report come out that got a lot of people fired up, and then we had the uh, Pro Farmer report come out. 
uh, last week, and then their their final report kind of came out midweek this week. And for all intents and purposes, they kind of I don't know how the best way to put it. They kind of um, confirmed but denied what the what the USDA had to say a little bit to that to some expect some extent. Um, basically, what I read was count on having about a similar corn crop to what we've seen in the past, but there is some uh there's a lot of factors that have to play yet there's uh they were talking about some heat issues they were seeing in the northern corn belt as well as some potential early frost um concerns um but and i don't know so i don't know i read that report and i kind of left with as many questions as i had when i started so i guess what was your opinion of that and and how do you see things shaping up now with the the two big things kind of taking place I think the two things that uh, jumped out um, were the immaturity on mm-hmm. on corn. Yep, that's uh, probably first and foremost. And uh, and now this weather is a double edged sword. This this whole season has been just hard to get your your brain wrapped around. You know, um, typically when you see this kind of weather in the in the summer, you know, it's fifty five at night out here and. 74 75 during the day we got a little bit of rain a week ago that's perfect but then you have this june planted corn that all it's doing is just slowing way down you know it's not even in the in the kernel fill stage yet so um it's it's kind of um counterintuitive to think that this kind of weather may not be the best thing that could uh, happen for this this june planted corn but it, it really is um probably not a good situation um so that's probably the one thing is the immaturity and high variability. Um, and typically when you have high variability like that, you don't have top yields. They had their yield. Uh, they knocked that down to like 163 and change. So it was about six bushels below the USDA. Um, you know, I guess the caveat there was that uh, assuming normal weather and normal first frost. The problem now is you talk to agronomists um, are twofold. Number one, with the uh, cooler temperatures here, it's slowing things down. And as you crunch through some of the uh, software and calculations, technology we have available with, um, you know, plugging in planting dates, growing degree units, um, a lot of this stuff is slowing down now and won't make black layer until 12th, 15th, 18th of October. And um, at least right here, kind of the I- I-74 corridor uh, through Indiana, Illinois, it's about Oh, seventh, eighth, ninth of October is when our first uh, frost hits, typically. Yeah. So we're going to need a late frost. Uh, what that does to the yield, if it's normal or early, no one knows yet. Uh, the other big thing that jumped out uh, at, to me on the Pro Farmer were pod counts uh, on beans. Right. And that. Um, they were significantly, significantly lower than a year ago. Now, I understand a year ago was just massive, right? We had a lot of 70 to 80 plus bushel beans out there. Um, but, uh, in the Eastern corn belt, you know, 20 to as much as 30 plus percent, uh, below a year ago pod counts. Um, now I am no agronomist, but I've talked to a couple and, um, there was kind of an underlying theme through that report, uh, you know, through that tour. And then after that, uh, well, you know, we planted beans late. There's a lot of pods out there or I should say a lot of blooms. And if we get normal weather, you know, those blooms are going to turn into pods. And I think that's, um, you know, pipe dream. I think people that think that, you know, need, uh, need a reality check. Um, we're running out of daylight, you know, uh, Saturday's, uh, for, you know, September 1st. And, uh, yep. so late planted corn, number one is going to be a reality check for people as they go out, they start looking at some of that stuff. There's just not enough sunlight. When you have June planted corn and mid-June planted corn in some cases, you run out of sunlight. It's going to tip way back. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're staring at a lot of unknowns, and I think you mentioned it earlier. We're gonna, it's going to take till harvest and beyond, probably to the, or the uh, January crop report to figure this thing out. And uh, that's the bottom line. And I, I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, well, either way you think about it, I guess, fortunately for prices, potentially, um, we're setting ourselves up psychologically uh to be disappointed by the crop because usda has such a uh, a high number here 169 and a half and i think when you get out in it um it's not going to be quite as good as what people expect in a lot of areas i'm not saying there's not some good corn out there 
probably parts of Nebraska, parts of Iowa. Um, you know, there's parts of Illinois that have good, good corn. But I think just the fact that our phone's ringing this week with people walking their fields saying, wow, I thought my early corn. Here, here's, here's a common theme that we get this week, and it just seems like this week was the, the week that people started walking fields um, and, and calling us. Uh, my early corn, I thought my early corn, uh, was going to be 220 and my late corn 180 and I was going to average 200, but I've been out my early corn and it's 185. Um, and my late corn isn't even yellow, yellow yet. It's so immature. So I thought I was going to make 200 a whole farm. I might've made 240, 250 last year. And now I'm probably going to end up under 200. And I think as we go along, there's going to be a lot more of that. So it's not a disaster. It's not a disaster, but I think we're set up to kind of see corn and bean yields both disappoint once harvest starts. When you, when you look at the market now, what is the, what's going to be the catalyst that, that you start seeing some stuff jump up? Because we're kind of back in that, that slopping back and forth phase. You know, we'll have a day or two where it goes up four yeah. or five, and then it'll drop four or five, and then it'll go up four or five, and then we'll have a day where it falls off 10, and it'll come up eight and a half or whatever, you know, and it's just kind of all over the place. What's that catalyst going to be that's going to be, is there going to be enough of this, you know, guys looking at Twitter and listening to U.S. Farm Report and stuff like that where they're going to start seeing guys talk about this, that traders are going to start maybe going like, hmm, maybe there is something here, and they're going to start seeing something, or is it going to have to be that January report that's going to really kind of throw this, this in the gear one way or the other? Well, I think the market's still a little shell shocked with that ninety million acre number. Yeah, um, I think to answer your question, Casey, is we're um, it has to be confirmed by the USDA on monthly crop reports. We've got one coming out September twelfth, um, so that's right around the corner here. And um, even if I'm not saying they've got to take ten bushels off corn yields, but they've got to start into the trend here, either September or October. Um, of them lowering yields, you know, slightly, even if it's a bushel on corn, that'll get people thinking that, all right, USC is out there. Finally, they're checking fields for this report, uh, actual field checks for the September crop report. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic out there. If they start coming down on yields, that might get the market focused that, okay, maybe we've seen the highest yield number. Um, still, arguably, there's going to be some adjustments on uh, acreage as well. That usually comes on the January crop report. So you know, if it is the crop size that Pro Farmer says mm-hmm. at 163, and they would adjust acreage down a little bit, million to two million acres, you know, you're going to cut the carry out enough that's going to give us uh, a rally potential. Maybe not back to the highs at um, you know 470, 475, but probably back north of four bucks again. So, long answer to your question, um, the market is going to hear all kinds of stuff on Twitter and different you know, private crop estimates. But until the USDA moves their numbers, the market's going to assume it's a 169 crop um, on 90 million planted acres. So, But what if, what if they do move towards that pro farmer uh, number of 163? Is that how much of a jump is that going to make in the market from the 169 number? Um, you know, I think that you could see a rally eventually back north of four bucks, uh, you know, four ten to uh, four and a quarter range, um, likely. And you've got some other all this political stuff going on too. Is there's um, some movement on China trade? Right. You know, the market got a little bit of a jump yesterday, earlier in the week. Uh, there's some talk about uh, from President Trump and Secretary Purdue that they're going to have some sort of uh, good news for ethanol, right? It's kind of ambiguous at this point, um, you know, because of those exemptions from the small refineries. And, you know, that um, we've seen t- tweets that are, you know, hinting at good things for farmers before from yes, Washington, and it hasn't turned out. Yeah. But uh, I think a good, I think a moral victory would be if they just follow the law. I mean, that would uh, maybe get the market um, a little bit of confidence that, yeah. uh, and some stability. Just follow the law. How about that? And, and, and get uh, the place to start, right? And that would be a good start. Well, Japan's going to buy every grain, every kernel of corn we've got, right? Something like that? Weren't, weren't they going to do something like that? Well, 
I don't know if it's every kernel or um, 100 million bushels more, somewhere in between, but I think it's probably going to be closer to 100, 150 million bushels more, yeah. which is better than nothing, but I don't think that's every bushel. No, that I've read that tweet and I'm like, again, really? We're doing this again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's crazy. I, I mean, it's great. A trade deal's great, you know, yeah. but Japan's already the number two buyer of U.S. corn has been for ever, basically. Right. So they already yeah. buy a lot of stuff. Now, that's, you know, I don't want to minimize it. That's good for uh, beef and pork and, and, and other. I mean, I, it, it's a good deal, but the tweet that they're going to buy all our corn, a um, yeah. little bit of a stretch. Last time I saw that happen, we went to had a trade war about two weeks later. Start so I don't I don't know if we can. yeah exactly <laughs> unless they're going to buy all the corn and then resell it to China that maybe that's what you maybe know, that could be know. yeah that could be happening too <laughs> yeah crazy all right step over to the cattle complex take a look what's happening there cattle's kind of been uh, here there and everywhere so talk about what you see happening there and 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 what kind of moves you see going into this fall time frame that are coming ahead of us here. Yeah, fall. Fall. I think that um, you know. Let's go. Let's go back two weeks. We had that fire at the Tyson plant. Yep. Cattle. Um, you know, just puked like ten, twelve dollars. A couple limit down moves immediately with all the uncertainty there. I think there's still some uncertainty there. But here's the interesting thing: um, other plants have um, you know increased hours um, and and killed on the weekends. And we're for two weeks running. We killed almost as many cattle as we did with the Tyson plant online. So we've picked up the slack a little bit. Packers are still making a huge amount of money. Uh, but it's been a little disappointing that you haven't seen a better bounce. I think that will come with a cattle on feed report a week ago. It was, um, you know, touch friendly. It, it came in about 1% below average estimates in, in all three categories. I think that uh, longer term, obviously you're close to a low here. Um, Cause you get, you know, the next six weeks may be a little sideways and sloppy, but I think as you get deeper into fall and, and then approaching winter, um, things look uh, look better. I still think that you could, you know, maybe put uh, $10, $12 on, you know, kind of like winter and, and spring live cattle. Um, this trade agreement, uh, you know, we were kind of joking about it earlier, but it is going to be a good thing yeah. uh, for beef and pork, poultry. So, you, you know, you get some uh, exports uh, cranked out to, to Japan and and um, you know that could help the the cattle complex a little bit too. Yep, there's a it's kind of back and forth. You kind of watch those export reports and you see you start seeing a lot of uh, I've seen a lot more of those uh, destination unknowns or however they word that popping up in there that kind of lets yeah. you know that you know China's taking some stuff here and there. But they had a big uh, they take a bunch of beef last week or this week or something like that on, on the exports uh, China. Well, you know, here's here's the thing about China and, and beef. It's been um, a pretty the the most uh, poorly kept secret um, in in ag. But China's taken our beef, just not directly, right? right. So uh, we've seen some pretty big sales to Hong Kong in the last month or so. That was it. Um, yep. a lot of beef moves through Taiwan. You know, if you look at the population of Taiwan and crunch out how much beef they buy from us the per capita beef consumption in taiwan is you know something like five times more than what it is here yeah um, so you know point being china's getting our beef it's just maybe not going directly to to china they've got a problem with this pork thing though um you know their their pork prices are i think about a little more than three times higher than what our pork prices are and i think they're about to the end of the rope there so they're going to they're going to ramp up um, protein imports, you know, yeah. whether that's poultry, beef, pork, probably all three. Um, so we have we have some stuff to gain there. Just be good to get a little clarity or at least some stability on this trade war. Uh, just seems like about every other week it it takes a turn for the worse. But I don't yeah. know how much worse it can be at this point. Yep. That's one of the thing, too, the. Uh African swine fever. Um, it's kind of, you hear every once in a while, you kind of get like a page six type of report on what's going on over there, but it's kind of died off. But everything that you read is like, it's it's worse than we thought every time it comes out. And it still hasn't yeah. made, it's being very suppressed, it feels like, compared to what it was, you know, back this winter. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the news 
um, industry needs fresh, sexy news. Um, and, and African swine fever definitely isn't. Right. Uh, so, but it's still there. It hasn't gone away. And it's, you know, I think most estimates are now that they've lost about half their hog herd. Yep. Uh, or just under. So, I think some things that were going on there, this is just speculation on my part and stuff reading between the lines, because you don't get real good news out of China um, for good reason. They want it that way. You're only going to get the pieces of information they want you to know. Uh, but here's what I think kind of happened. We had that big run up in, in pork prices immediately after, um, you know, became apparent that they had a big problem on the expectation they were going to buy a bunch of our pork. And they, and they have bought some, but I think what happened was, um, whether citizens there know it or not, um, some of what was slaughtered made it back into the food chain um, because it's, you know, allegedly, supposedly uh, not transferable to humans uh, via the meat and or at all for that matter, right. but uh, certainly not to the meat. So I think some of the liquidation made it into their food supply. And, you know, allow them to stretch out a little bit. They're probably coming up to the end of that. And, um, you know, whether that's part of this trade deal or whether they just say, hey, in spite of tariffs, we're going to buy pork, right? Even with the tariffs, it's going to be cheaper than uh, what their domestic prices are. So they're kind of, uh, I think their backs are against the wall a little bit on that respect. And I would think that uh, eventually here and probably sooner rather than later, they are going to have to uh, come to the United States for, uh, you know, maybe many different protein sources. Yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, and, and that could even include beans because coming in the time frame where South America is probably getting uh, dwindling supplies of their uh, recently harvested crop, we typically from about harvest to January, February, pick up some more exports. So you could even see, um, you know, a few new sales to China here on the beans in spite of the tariffs. And uh, hopefully there's talk that, you know, again, this is like a broken record, but we're going to potentially hold some more trade talks in September. Elections coming up here, um, you know, something's going to have to to give. I think without a trade agreement, um, you know, Trump's not going to be in the White House. Right. I, I really feel that. I mean, yeah. you know, farm states got him in there. Farm Farmers states are him out. right now. Yeah. And it's not just farmers. It's It goes up the line, right? Uh, oh, yeah. You say, wow, farmers aren't that big of a percent. But it goes right up the line to, number one, uh, you know, farmers are hurting. Um, incomes are as low as they've been in uh, six, seven years. And now we've had a, p- a poor crop on top of that in a lot of areas. So it goes right upstream to fertilizer companies, you know, yep. equipment companies, seed companies, uh, any ag business it really um, affects the ag economy in the in the middle part of the country, and you know we need a trade deal. Yep. And it, I mean, it should be a good deal, but uh, let's stop tweeting and start um, getting something done. Stop talking about it and start being about it. That's what I. It's what drives me yeah. nuts about this whole thing, man. They just every time I turn around, there's some tweet about something that's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and it comes out to be. Worse than the invention of sliced yeah, bread. I think that's yeah. I think that's wearing thin. Um, I, I I really do. It still works in the financial market, the stock market for some reason. Yeah. I think in the grain markets, um, you know, <laughs> action, not words. That's uh, that's what yeah what we want right now. Remember the and moves the grain we see. Markets have it figured out. He can still seems like manipulate the stock market yeah. um, higher with a tweet or two. They haven't figured that part out yet, yep. but I think that they, uh, the time could come soon that they are. Yeah, we'd watch those swings on a, on in the marketplace on every little tweet we saw. And now he, that there's zero effect. Nothing happens when something comes out. Yeah, it's a it's a trust, but double quadruple verify before we do anything else moving forward. So crazy. Yeah, it's just it's a boy who cried wolf at this point. You know, yeah. the first couple times it was great, but. You know, we're going on, uh, I don't know what it is now, 15, 16 months of this crap. And, uh, yeah, you know, tweets tweets don't matter anymore. Yep. No, it's crazy. So, all right, Chip. Hey, plenty of stuff going on. Good time to work that plan. 2020 will be here before you know it. And we're moving into that uh, that key uh, key marketing time, first of the year. So, folks are working on a plan or have a plan they need to have you revise or maybe even just kick them in the right direction. What's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, best ways to just give us a call, 309-550-7213. Uh, this is a great time to, to do some planning, right? I mean, um, on the grain side, crop insurance uh, plays a part of this. Um, so, you know, it's been a little bit depressing, a little bit frustrating with USDA numbers, um, frustrating with a wet uh, crop and, you know, wet planting. Uh, but it is not a time to stick your head in the sand and, and um, you know, forget about the markets. It's uh, it's prime time and, and there's some maneuvering you could do right now. Um, so it's, it's critical to have a plan. And if you don't have one, it's not too late to get one because it's still going to be volatile out there. Yep. I know guys that are working their plan this uh this about a month ago and they're they're selling grain for fifty or sixty cents higher than than what it is right now. So very important to pay attention to what's going on and, and know know what your reaction points are going to be. No doubt. No doubt. A lot of moving parts to it. Absolutely. All right. Chip, thanks this morning. Have a good one. And this is Chip Nellinger with Blue Reef Agri Marketing. So uh Chip, we'll talk to you later, man. All right. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.